In this episode, I get to talk to the founder of Blockchain Healthcare Review, which is a website that provides education and facilitates partner networks to an ecosystem of consumers, startups, enterprises, investors, and government. Brennan Bennett has had an interesting path from studying English, psych, and behavioral science at the University of Louisville to learning biomedical informatics at Rutgers University. He applied data analytics at Humana. He's advised multiple startups, and since 2018, on the he's been on the HIMS or Healthcare Information and Management System Society's Blockchain Task Force. Brennan has a clear passion for connecting people and organizations in blockchain in many different verticals, including healthcare, law, cannabis, artificial intelligence, and government. I really enjoyed speaking with him. I hope you all enjoy the episode. Remember to follow Health Unchained on Twitter and reach out to me on LinkedIn if you have any questions or feedback. Don't miss out on the conversations that are happening in the Telegram community chat. You can join by going to t.me slash healthunchained. If you are a healthcare provider, payer, or administrator without a technical background and you want to better understand all this blockchain jargon, you should really check out a new online Udemy course meant to teach non-technical people about blockchain's implications on healthcare. The simple course includes sections on cryptography, consensus mechanisms, smart contracts, and how they apply to the healthcare industry. You can even take the course from your mobile phone and you'll still get a certificate when you complete it. The course is normally $200, but you can get it for $50 if you use my promo code DOGUM2019. That's D-O-G-U-M, my last name, 2019. You can find the link in the show notes or search for blockchain and healthcare on udemy.com. It should be the first result you see, and it's created by Jacob Dreyer from Simply Vital Health. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? blockchain. What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to episode 27 of Health Unchained. Today I'm speaking with Brennan Bennett, the founder of BlockchainHealthCareReview.com. Brennan is also an advisor to multiple healthcare and blockchain startups, and he also works on the HIMSS Blockchain Healthcare Task Force. He is a subject matter expert in biomedical informatics, clinical decision support systems, drug design, and pharmacy operations. Brennan, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. First question for you that I have is, how did you come to realize you needed to create blockchain healthcarereview.com. Why did you do it? Uh, simply being in the workforce. Uh, my, in a previous life in the corporate world uh, that I was in, enterprise healthcare, uh, it was a strong fascination of innovation uh, combined with basically a strong desire to do more. Uh, I've always, I come from a, a big family of math and science people, um, but I have a liberal arts undergrad, so of psych and English. So I wanted to find my place and find my path, 
Um, and it just so happens about five, say about six years ago, I found uh, blockchain technology. And about four years ago, I started, I had the opportunity to merge it with my professional career at the time, which was uh, at Humana, which has made a lot of waves in the blockchain space. So uh, that being said, um, I also merged it with my graduate studies at, at Rutgers from biomedical informatics, which gave me the uh, the data, clinical science, um, and biomedical background to basically speak intelligently about um, all aspects of clinical and business applications of technology and sit right in the middle in the conversation as a strategist, not as a coder, not as a promoter or an enthusiastic evangelist, but as actually somebody who can put pieces together and make something work. So when you first, you said you discovered blockchain initially, was that the discovery of Bitcoin or Ethereum that was six years ago. So that's 2013 ish. What I want to say, I want to say the, the red, I guess I don't want to say the the red flag, but the initial flag was the initial market crash of Bitcoin when it went up to like 1200 and then went down because I've always had a fascination with economics, but I had no concept of a closed economic system that was crypto at the time, meaning that it was basically free market. It was open free for all. Right. So coming from a state, coming from my background in Kentucky, where we have a long history of kind of bucking the norm and uh, creating everything from moonshine to NASCAR just because we can. We, you know, innovation has really uh, been a part of uh, something I've been fascinated with. So I got hooked, basically. I got hooked um, and I wanted to understand economics, um, which made no sense, still makes no sense in crypto economics. But then I realized, started putting the pieces together from a technology perspective and then um, uh, the more I read about it and the more I reached out uh, and the more I got involved which is the key aspect of it uh, the more I became to understand uh, you know how the information age is really evolving which is important people our age and my age um, in my mid-30s I do remember a time without a computer um, but the information age has largely driven my life so you know I saw that as an evolution of the information age and from there I just um, you know, ultimately found healthcare as a way to ma- really make it happen. Yeah, I too remember the days when I didn't have a computer. I was like looking forward to getting uh, my 56K modem uh, installed okay. on my computer or something to connect. And then I remember the first day that I downloaded uh, a song online. I think it was like Napster oh, yeah. or something. Oh, yeah. And Napster. And, I, remember, and, I remember I got my first Burn CD. <laughs> I yeah. thought it was the coolest thing ever. Right, right. And to think about how quickly we've come to this point where we can stream videos very easily, uh, almost, almost basically for free. And, you know, this all happened within our lifetime, obviously. So it's not hard to imagine the next 10 years, there could be such an advancement in our, in the way that we collect data and the way that we use data and technology in ways that we can't even imagine. So how are you envisioning how blockchain can sort of help with all of this? So uh, along the lines of getting educated in the in clinical and sciences, also got educated in artificial intelligence in multiple ways, um, a lot through grad school as well. Um, and from biomedical informatics has a lot, a very strong emphasis on AI. And the way I see blockchain being a part of it is basically blockchain is the fire hose of, of data that we've always wanted and always dreamed of. Um, but until the last couple of years, um, the only, you know, the original kings of the internet the only ones that had access to this type of data. So mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, I see AI as, you know, like you, like a, you know, the, the, the best filter you can possibly think of um, in the way that it can be run across blockchain as an infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, I see blockchain, the tokenization and crypto economics, that conversation is going to pass. 
um, I see blockchain as uh, more applicable to the business ecosystems that are already in place in global commerce, uh, every everywhere. Everything you, you're a part of is a business ecosystem or buy and consumerism is a business ecosystem. But that data proliferation, what makes you a customer, what makes you a, um, you know, a patient, what makes you anything in relation to anybody or any uh, entity that would want to transact with you, do business with you or help you or hurt you in some way, shape, or form, depending upon the nature of the entity, uh, data is absolutely uh, critical. Um, and the volume of data that can be moved around, uh, I think, is is integral or blockchain adoption, especially in the clinical space, in medical space. Clinical data, it's not transactional data, <laughs> like, right. like, like bank data. It, it's, it's deep. It's very, very deep. And there's a lot of inferences that can be made with the right type of AI tuning. Uh, so I see blockchain as playing the, um, I, I, try to, I try to think of it, I try to think of a good analogy to communicate to this when I do speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, Henry Ford, when he invented the car or the basically got the car to mass production, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't invent the wheel, but he made the buggy obsolete, which was at that point, the only thing that could you know have that long range of transportation. So I see blockchain as kind of that space for data, uh, meaning that, great, we had the information age, the explosion, um, you know, past 40 years, the internet has evolved to commercialize what we see now, but now you see startups, especially in the healthcare space, that are moving ungodly amounts of data. Um, and it's anonymized, it's secure, because people are contributing in it because they can be rewarded with uh, either tokens or uh, licensings or whatever. So, you know, now that, the, now that data can be accurate, uh, and also secure from an identity perspective, I think the the implications for blockchain being uh, the new infrastructure for data movement is pretty much um, untouchable as far as its growth is concerned. It's, it's uh, we're we're very very early stages of seeing what can be done with it. Right. So when you said uh, you know these healthcare companies are pushing along a lot of data really fast right now, you're talking specifically about the ones that are. In a secure way, you're talking about the ones that are leveraging blockchain, not the general, because there are tons of healthcare startups right now not using blockchain at all, but using data in a way that helps either make a process more efficient or the user experience better. So there are ways that that's going on or helping make clinical decisions in a more, in a better way. So that, that stuff's happening now without blockchain. Yeah. Well, I, w- I would question, first and foremost, I would question where they're getting the data um so that's data question, data, right? data not all data is created equal mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately and that's that is kind of the blanket statement um when when i think of for example genomics companies i can think of two three off the top of my head um in the blockchain space that big farmer uh, is actually investing in now yeah um but you, they create their own data lakes because people are donating or you know connecting 23andme apis whatever to the to the actual contribution of genomic data. Uh, so, you, you know, basically the story is that that data is secure because it's absolutely validated and verified through, you know, the know your customer authentications and where the data is actually coming from. I'm not saying other healthcare startups are pulling bad data, but there's a reason blockchain is being applied to gather what are those three data. Companies? Well, one of them, um, so one of them is called Nebula Genomics out of Boston. Yeah. So I actually um, interviewed I'm, George Church on the show. Um, yeah. So that one I'm familiar with. Uh, yeah, so I haven't done any business with them. I'm a big fan of their work. Um, I saw them come through um, uh, FundRx, which is a, a I'm a venture fellow with them out of New York. 
Um, the other um, is in Crypton out of right. Florida, I believe. Uh, <clears throat> David, uh, the, the CEO, right? Absolutely, yes. Phenomenally brilliant guy, um, wonder, wonderful guy, just to just to know. Um, right. But I like his, you know, they, they, his understanding of they, philosophy they, and how he applies it to a blockchain as well. Yeah, but look at the absolutely. But if you take a look at the difference in the two companies, um, mm-hmm. encryption enables you to import right. data from twenty me, right? Which is good because twenty three me licenses your data without your permission. It makes anyway. it easier they, to adopt, they, right? Yeah, they, they made hundreds of millions of dollars in licensing their data for doing that. But um, you know, the the Boston company does not, right? They require you to register to get started and get going. And you see, from what I understand, um, you know, they receive funding, um, or at least they've they've had interest uh, from pharmacy just because it makes sense to have clean clinical data in healthcare, especially pharmacy. When you talk about drug design, it makes sense to have that type of clean clinical data that could cut down R&D costs, whether or not it'll cut down drug prices is another question, but at least it makes things move forward in the right direction. Yeah, I understand that. Um, can you think of the third one? If not, we can move on. I have plenty of questions. I'm just curious. Okay, no worries. You know, we talked a little bit about adoption and yep. helping people become more aware of blockchain and how it can be useful in healthcare. What's your take on adoption or at least awareness of, you know, patients, providers, who is most aware, who is least aware? Actually, consumers, to be honest with you. So we, and blockchain healthcare review, take a, took a totally different approach um, than the overwhelming majority of the peers in, in our area um, in that we do focus a lot on consumers. So, okay. for example, uh, digital health adopters. Right. Uh, now, when I talk about just the ones that want to measure steps, with the ones that are actually interested in, in manageable metrics, uh, mostly our generation, but sometimes older um, as well. So, you know, you see them very highly educated in terms of uh, what their digital health data means to them personally, um, calorie counting and all. So, um, you know, we're we're actually we see a lot of our editorial is geared towards simple. Um, communication of what like basically free market opportunities are available to consumers to adopt. Now, some some of these opportunities are B2C, B2B, and B2C2B, but most of the time, consumers are in there in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, we, we kind of see it as the, um, you know, what a web was in the mid-90s or e-commerce evolved to in the early 2000s where uh, consumers are going to be a driving force of adoption simply because they're going to be educated, um, and therefore, um, there's value in finding ways to connect um, in ways, in targeting ways, uh, behavioral targeting or intent targeting, anything like that. I do see a lot of, uh, in the enterprise space, we'll come back to the small business space, because that's a different conversation right now, but the enterprise space is, is growing because you're seeing people that have been in the space for a long time either being scooped up, or you're seeing enterprise invest a lot of money into education and training. Uh, we conversations we've been involved with have not only have gone across enterprise, but also um, federal space. So looking at training, for example, analysts on how to understand business applications of the technology, how to not get wrapped up in Bloomberg, Bloomberg Bitcoin analysis, but actually try to understand how the technology could be applied to problems you have, which takes an understanding of the problems you have in the first place. And that alone is a conversation that spans three or four people on a good day in any given um, large-scale organization. So, you know, the the good news is um, people are feverishly intent on educating themselves. The bad news is there's a lot of hype uh, that has nothing to do with business value. Um, ask 
five venture capitalists and four of them will say that, you know, but, um, you know, crypto, try to reference the crypto market to some degree, but you know, that's just where it is right now. That's where web was in the early nineties. It's perfectly fair to say that's there's true. confusion, perfectly fair to that Google wasn't even a concept in the early nineties. I don't even think they're in high school yet, but, but you see right. what their ideas. So, you know, the idea, you're also starting to see acquisitions, which I thought was phenomenally interesting. This is a really interesting part of the industry because despite blockchain just turning 10 years old this year, there have been multiple stages of acquisitions. Um, uh, I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but Pocketdoc? Stellar. Is that one of them? Pocketdoc was one of them. Pocketdoc is a great example of that yeah. team. The guys that founded that team, <clears throat> I've seen them and talked to them a few times at different conferences throughout the years. Talking about Ted Wonderful or... people. Ted, yeah. And yeah. Uh, the... Uh, I'm very, very happy that that technology went to a company like Change because they're mm-hmm. going to use it for the right intended mm-hmm. reasons. Um, but there's other companies like Stellar uh, acquired a finance firm out of San Francisco. I forgot what it was. I forgot the name of it. But they acquired it in 100% Stellar Lumens. $500 million, I think, was the ticket mm-hmm. price. Wow. Uh, 45, like very short transaction. Um, didn't go through the banks, but they acquired it because they wanted the team, the tech, and it was applicable in the space. So... Now you're starting to see these startups, um, not startups, but full-blown organizations that have, you know, built on technology less than 10 years old, making massive acquisitions outside the purview of traditional venture capital um, and banks, and for that matter. So it's uh, it's quite an interesting direction that that we're going in when this much money um, is available to the this many innovation enthusiasts or innovation makers, I guess. Yeah, so, you, so you're saying you are seeing a lot of activity movement, at least in the investment space in these companies, and people are watching as ICOs happen. But like you also said, there's lots of hype, and you know, you're know you kind of in the news industry. You're looking at editorials, and you're publishing articles and things like that. So how much of the news that you do see is all bark and no bite? Up until last year, probably 90%. Hmm. 80%, 90%. Last year was... A fundamental shift um, in knowledge, and I will. I, I can back that up by going to conferences too. Been going to a lot of conferences, speak, spoke at a lot of conferences, and was paneled on a lot of conferences, and answered a lot of random questions from random crowd members at a lot of conferences. And uh, over the last two years, they have become substantially more educated. Questions. Hmm. I've been very, very impressed with the crowd that comes to these conferences. Most of whom are professionals, some of whom are in the public, but they ask like really intelligent questions that are just not off the cuff. What do you, you know, is the crypto market going to live or die type crap? So uh, it's, uh, it, it's. Is it related to the technology, like the stacks that you're building on? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they ask the right, they don't ask people like me about the stacks and stuff, but they ask uh, the right people on the panels about the right stack questions. And they ask somebody like me more, more about the strategy about adoption and, and emerging countries or something like that. So you, People, people, uh, people are following this in ways. And you look at healthcare. Healthcare is very personal. It doesn't matter sure. who you are. It, it's very personal. Every single person on earth has a healthcare story that's probably good and one that's probably bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's in, in everybody's vested interest to educate themselves to some degree. Um, and just on that note, real quick, we have had a story. One of the one of the great what I would consider a light bulb moments in blockchain healthcare review was last year. We had a woman come to us, read our editorial, got denied healthcare coverage for a dermatology issue, came to us saying, can you help me find a solution? We did. We happened to advise a company 
Uh, Tokyo that has a um, an Which AI blockchain based solution. Do you remember the company name? Or? Oh yeah, Opu, Opu Labs, uh, Opu.ai. Um, and we referred them to to them, right? And and their dermatology focused blockchain application that uses computer vision and AI to assess, diagnose, and treat dermatology issues. Hmm. Plain and simple. They got covered. Not I don't know. I'm sorry, I didn't get covered, but they got uh, diagnosed and into their program um, and actually, you know, are receiving um, more educated uh, feedback than they would if they would have paid out of pocket. Sure, they would have paid, they could have gone to a dermatologist, paid out of pocket um, and probably would have gotten good treatment just because we have good dermatology in this country, but that's not the case everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's expensive. It's very expensive, especially if it's considered elective. So, that to me was kind of the aha moment that people are educating themselves on the free market opportunities that are available as much as they are on the enterprise opportunities. So, you know, that story you just told, that's really interesting. You're able to help somebody connect with a dermatologist uh, in Japan. Now, so that's basically like telehealth, telemedicine, right? That's what you're talking about. And can you tell me a little bit more about how blockchain can help improve telehealth operations? Yeah, well, that, yeah, that, that example in particular was not necessarily even connecting with a dermatologist, but connecting them with a, an application that had uh, was trained by dermatologists um, and leveraged blockchain to aggregate data to give better results in dermatology. Uh, but so yeah, more think, AI um, based, right? But so let's talk about you know having the ability to talk to people just within this country. If you want to talk to an actual provider, yep. an actual doctor with a video. How can blockchain help there? Yep. Well, it depends. First, um, it, it's not necessarily about the connection. It's more about the data. So a lot of the rural health initiatives that we see uh, coming through the pipeline, um, I, actually, I'll be honest with you, it, it's it's the connection between blockchain and telehealth is slow um, in, in humans. I've actually seen it adopt faster in the animal market um, than I have in the human market. Uh, but that's kind of a... Uh, it's kind of a side story on that too, but the in telehealth, the mm-hmm. the uh, the main thing is uh, being able to connect uh, with those people. But that it, every state has, from what I understand, this might have changed, but I, I think I'm pretty sure every state has their own rules when it comes to that's true. Um, what can be mm-hmm. said, done, much less prescribed. I mean, you can't necessarily have a telehealth prescription when you have a busted leg and request a bunch of oxycodone. So you actually have to see people, right? There's there's uh, requirements for controlled substances and requirements for everything else. So that that's um, that's a tough nut to crack outside of uh, top level oncology um, and uh, what I would consider mental health. But but mental health, I think, has the biggest opportunity to gain from blockchain and telehealth because you can access different types of technologies to help with your assessment. Um, you can have you can monitor progress uh, through um, intelligent gamification, um, and even computer vision if you really want to get into the research part of it um, on how participants actually react to questions from psychiatry, um, especially in terms of incarceration or drug addiction. So hmm. there's a lot that can be done with it. Um, it's just a question of how are you going to make the most use out of it until national standards are set. Um, until then, you're not going to see the type of adoption you're going to see with, say, Farmer supply chain, which doesn't have anything to do with tele adoption, but there's national standards that can be applied towards that technology. 
Right. Do you think regulation is a big barrier to blockchain adoption? The single biggest barrier there ever okay. could be, and it probably ever will be. Um, but that. In, and is in all it all related to money? Is it all like because of cryptocurrencies and token and the fact that it has, you know, monetary value, and we want to make sure that we're tracking all that? Is that the the main barrier there? Because I don't think it's about security no, or privacy. Because yeah, yeah, no, it's not. That's not the main barrier. I mean, uh, it's healthcare has evolved in the last century more than it has since the last five, and from what we, what we can do with what we have, vaccinations, everything, um, it has to. The regulations, I'm trying to think how to put this, um, for one, if you want to compare our progress to, say, Canada or, uh, no, better example, I'm sorry, Canada, but better example, um, Sweden, um, Norway, I mean, some of the Nordic countries, single-payer systems where they have um, more streamlined, broad-based standards across the country. I don't, you know, we're, we, our country is built the way it is because it's the way it is that, and we got to find a way to work with it. But I think that there has to be some types of standardization um, that can acknowledge the power of the underlying technology and completely forget about the crypto argument. Um, the only state, well, there's a handful, but the one of the states that I've seen actually attempt to do this um, from a legislative standpoint is, is Colorado. I have friends and colleagues in that in that. Um, bullfight over next door in Colorado, where they actually got on the legislative floor uh, saying, look, this is a technology, this is a token, conversations are different. Can we please, you know, create standards for this technology and have leave the uh, token conversation to the SEC, which is fair, right? That's the way, that's cool, that's the way it should be. So the conversations are happening. The um, HIMS is doing a great job of deciphering that conversation. Uh, Digital Chamber of Commerce um, out of D.C., uh, a lot of heavy hitters sitting on that board, but they're doing a good job of actually getting the right people in front of it. Um, but I'll tell you, the one industry that's going to make the most, that's going to set the record straight is the cannabis and CBD industry. Hmm. Um, that's the market that we are engaged in. Um, very, very hope to be involved with it by the end of the year. Um, but it's an emerging health market, right? Legalization, Absolutely. whatever. That, I mean, that's a totally different conversation. Um, if and when it does happen across the board, I mean, you it, that'll change the conversation, but not as drastically as it is now. Uh, I mean, even here in Utah, we have medical legalization of all states. Utah has it. Um, you know, so it, it, it is possible for standardization to roll out in this kind of emerging market and for blockchain to play a role in that because we can prove health outcomes to crop genetics, which can, could not be done with let's say morphine when it came out or um, heroin when it was used in medical practice um, or even you know other other medical and pharmacy uh, type um, I guess uses and drugs over the last hundred years point is if it takes an emerging market to prove that national standards are needed to apply an emerging tech to an emerging market that's the one it's going to be and maybe in a decade or so we'll take up the broader uh, healthcare conversation in a way that's in a compromised way i definitely see both sides of the argument um but there has to be a medium before the technology can even be talked about you know that's very interesting you're saying that uh there can be a way to track depending on what type of cannabis that you're um ingesting you can look at its genetics and then track to see the progress in the patient to see how they're doing if they're doing much better using this type of cannabis strain or a different strain so you're going to use for blockchain 
through medical records to track all of that. Another uh, like application I thought of also was, or not I thought of, but that exists is tracking the supply chain of the cannabis. So where it's grown, who, where it's created from, and then if it's created into products, um, all of that can be also traced and tracked using blockchain. And that's exactly what we're doing. That's exactly what we're looking at. We're actually looking at, um, there's there's a handful of states that provide the perfect they provide an ideal economic atmosphere for that. And there's one in particular, which is on the other side of Utah, uh, Nevada, that is absolutely perfect for testing that theory um, because it's a closed-loop business ecosystem. The entire cannabis, medical, CBD business economy is closed-loop within the state of Nevada, which means that you don't have to roll out a national program to test the theory, right? You, you just, But, but that, does, that does mean that the growers have to be on board, that the plants have to be tracked, um, and that medical delivery, not recreational um, distribution, but medical delivery is tracked through, I don't know, ACOs maybe, or you know, there's organizations that can actually move a little bit faster with innovation. Um, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it's not as easy as it sounds. We scoped the project, it took months to scope, um, but it is possible. And it is possible to legitimately tweak from what, what we've designed and what we've thought of to legitimately tweak genetic variants of whether it be cannabis, CBD oils, or whatever product is ingested to specific health outcomes. Right now, you're seeing that kind of applied to, uh, I think it's autism or Asperger's, some of the more violent um, outbursts of mental health. Uh, but you're also seeing it um, for seizures, argued, it's, it's, but, it's been used. yeah yeah you're using it but you know bipolar is the same same medication as as seizures medication so what makes you think that just because it works for somebody who can't physically stop hitting themselves um that it wouldn't work for somebody who can't stay even from a from a health mental health perspective so when you talk about that type of ph psychopharmacology we can make more progress in the next 20 years than we did in the last 100 um, simply by connecting the dots through a verified data medium, which is blockchain. You just have to make sure that it's secured, which we can. Right. I mean, the first step would be to kind of finalize or stop this war on drugs. And I don't mean to put a plug in for that, but uh, I think that it is important. We are wasting a lot of money, resources, people's lives. And what's worst, in my opinion, is that there's lots of research that can be done uh, that's going to waste like people are using things all the time, but it's not being tracked or researched or nobody is Logging it right. anywhere, but if they were to log it themselves personally and then in a anonymous Way share it with researchers who can look at a broader set of data to do, you know, a real analysis that would be very helpful and Right well, now we're just yeah. people are consuming without any sort of um, Collection being done well, it has to be validated too. So keep in mind the scenario. The scenario comes to mind with what you just said. Wearing a Fitbit doesn't mean tracking steps. You can play drums on sure. a Fitbit and get fifty thousand steps a day, but literally take ten. So it, it's it's a matter of validity, which is why I kind of look at what you know we had talked about before about blockchain commoditizing integrity, um, and that's yes. kind of how it all kind of together. Explain that to me. What does that mean? Commoditizing integrity. So if you look at integrity for what it stands for, it means the basically bulletproof, um, well, the essence of bulletproof facts, right? Um, it's something that um, actually having truth and honesty 
um, way more than any other potential outcome. So from a commoditization standpoint, uh, what if you could apply integrity to an entire business ecosystem? Would you ever question again the tomato you're eating is actually organic or the label that your olives come in, which most likely aren't where they come from? Then that's a given fact. Or what about the pills, medications you're taking? Um, if you could commoditize integrity in everything you consume, would you question what you're consuming or would you spend that time furthering what else you could do? Basically, it's re it'd be resetting the baseline of of honesty in global commerce. What what could we accomplish as a human race if that were actually set to a realistic standard that couldn't be tweaked, that couldn't be bought, that couldn't be undermined, that couldn't be faked? Um, we could actually make a hell of a lot of progress um, throughout healthcare, throughout finance, throughout uh, underlying issues that have been prevalent for you know hundreds of years. Um, so we could actually make a lot of progress, but human nature is human nature. We, you know, we, we are where we are. Um, and there's always since the beginning of business itself, um, we're going to be bad actors and there's, it's impossible to supply the entire supply chain of a business ecosystem until now. Now we can. So, you know, it, it's quite interesting to see or to even think about what would be possible if integrity was part of, um, our system, but also, it's also kind of interesting to see who's freaking out the most <laughs> about it. Um, a lot of people that a lot of organizations that freak out um, about honesty and transparency probably have good reasons to freak out about honesty and transparency. Um, what do you so mean? So it's I'm not well. Why would you freak out about being honest and transparent if you got nothing to hide? Um, it, or if you, you know, if that's you see some of the smaller countries, um, Estonia, for example has made phenomenal progress in blockchain technology because they put it all on the table saying, look, we have either a national security threat and we also have a concern about our uh, the citizens of our country. We're going to work together as a country to leverage a technology in a way that can elevate us um, in, a, in a way that helps everybody, right? So you take that type of conversation um, and you flip it to Venezuela, who created their own crypto petrol currency uh, to fight off whatever it is that they're going through now. Uh, I mean, crypto can be used, blockchain can be used for good and for bad, but when you talk about applying it to what can actually be done from people uh, in the hands of people that know what they're doing and have good intentions, now you can start to go back and look at the business ecosystems that we currently live in. Uh, where does you know, your coffee come from? The Starbucks versus your local shop. Where does your pillow come from? And you know, you know, how authentic is that you know, piece of art or piece of food that you're eating. Um, those are all questions that even the biggest, baddest, best experts in the world still are getting fooled on. Um, so, you know, basically, you know, if we could fix that, the people that are committing, you know, those crimes or those injustices or whatever you want to call it in the first place, they got a lot to lose. And uh, sometimes it's not as easy as a corner, you know, <laughs> Hustler is sometimes it's it's government systemic. Um, that's just that's just the way it's been. That's that's human nature. So, I mean, it's a big philosophical nut to crack. But for the first time in history, it is possible to legitimately address it in a way that is not fundamentally controlled by one organization, entity, or nation, for that matter. Um, it really, really does even the playing field, and it allows people. 
um, who want to do good in the world the power to be able to do it, which is refreshing for for people like us who grew up in an industry thinking the internet was cool, only to realize that our data was being harvested and resold, and we never saw a dime of it. Right, so um, that that's why you're seeing a lot of pie in the sky ideas, but that's starting to back down into more grounded, okay, let's take it one step at a time concept. I mean, the car, the first cars didn't have seatbelts, right? So it takes it takes a while to get the picture right. Yeah, it took many, many years before seatbelts were even adopted. It was such a, like, a, they were pushing back on that for a while. So how do you expect blockchain to actually track all these things? You said, you know, for example, how do I know where this tomato came from? Or how do I know where this plant or this coffee crop, you know, the cocoa beans, where... How is it going to actually be validated on the blockchain? Is someone going to click a button and say, yep, this came from here. I'm approving it as a person. Or is it going to be some sort of more complex system where you'll have cameras with artificial intelligence reading the landscape and understanding exactly what's going on using geo-fencing technology, geolocation uh, to verify where the crops are being pulled out? Like, how, how do you envision actually validating these things because I, I don't see it right now i don't think we have by itself blockchain can't do it so we, we we can and we're actively doing it uh the uh the uh if we ever get back to the point where somebody's clicking a button and saying i as a human validated then it's lost its entire purpose um okay. so the way that the way it's being done right now and the way um uh, the way it's going to be done further in the future, especially when it comes to cannabis, tomatoes, whatever, is IoT sensors. So first and foremost, you got to look at the business ecosystem from start to finish. Um, a tomato may go to a farmer's market, may go to a grocery store, or it may go to Heinz and be processing the ketchup, whatever. Like it, it, It's got to have multiple different endpoints. The problem is tracking it from its origination. So the crops yeah. themselves... Um, um, at cannabis, going back to them, they actually have the most advanced crop tracking that I've seen because they can do it on a molecular level. <laughs> Although other companies like IBM and the FDA and whatnot, they're testing out food supply, like basically smart agriculture. Um, actually, my, I have a background in the wine business and I had been testing this idea out in, in, in that industry as well. Um, and there's a lot of IoT sensors that are available to farmers that are not hard to use. And the question is, one, the validity of actually deploying those sensors. Two, um, making sure the data isn't What uh, kind of fabric- sensors are you talking? Grounds, like- so full types. Yeah, it's a good question. Multiple types. So when you, when you talk about farming, you have uh, crop sensors, meaning uh, for grapes, for example, you want to know the nitrogen uh, con- the nitrogen I put in the soil. Um, it's probably different for between grapes and potatoes, right? So having that understanding of what an ideal crop should be um, and then controlling the environment, uh, or I guess I don't, that's the wrong way to say it, but monitoring the environment. Ultimately, I think that uh, commercial agriculture will be uh, be controlled in terms of produce. Um, I sincerely hope it doesn't for livestock, but from produce, you could grow a lot um, in, in, in actual um, in warehouses and fields than you can in fields, uh, but then you get into the GMO stuff. So the, the whole idea is being able to track it from the origination using IoT sensors, and not necessarily, uh, yet you can log the data yourself, but then you start to question the validity of it. So really, that comes back to somebody like me as a strategist saying, how do you want to eliminate human error and human fallacy throughout the entire process? Right. Okay, 
It's so, a hard problem right now, especially with, you know, we're, you know, we do have these sensors, but I don't think we are at a stage where we can really go from beginning to end without a human. No, not without a human, not because somebody's got to pick it up and move it. But we are at a stage where you can track from point A to point Z and track whether or not it's been tampered with. So when you look at this gets even more complicated when you look at overseas uh, exports. Right. IBM did a uh, I think they I think it was last year, or the year before they did a case study with cotton, which isn't really as sensitive as something like strawberries or tomatoes. But they tracked it multiple countries, multiple ports, point A to point Z. Uh, somewhere in China or wherever, and they tracked it from point A to point B, um, and they could legitimately say it's the same crop of cotton that came from here to the destination. It was not tampered with. It was not touched because they had an IoT sensor on the crate door. I believe. I don't. It could be probably more complicated than that, but that's a. But that, that's the way right. that I would do it if I was transporting a material object that was not organic, like a tomato or banana or a coconut or something like that. So. When you talk about transporting organic comment, now you have to monitor freezer levels, right? You have yeah. to monitor the, the homeostasis of the environment the entire way through. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's going to take a lot of push and pull. I think drones will play a big part in it. Um, drones, uh, especially the small little quadcopters that are having incredible amount of what I would consider use when it comes to computer vision. Long term, by long term, I mean 10 probably 10 years or less, especially with the advent of 5G, uh, we're going to see satellites play a huge role in this too because you're going to take, uh, you're going to be able to access um, crop images from around the world, assess that ideally with IoT sensors on the ground um, and be able to track it through, you know, a wider range of data availability. Mm-hmm. So where this is all going to even out, <laughs> we're not going to probably see it for another 50 years how, because it's just evolving so fast. But it is important to take it a little step at a time. Um, tracking cotton is a good first step. Uh, tracking um, fruit is probably a good second step because it's a lot more touchy, mm-hmm. right? And, and there's a lot more ways to, to, uh, for it to fail. Or um, I think the real question is, what are you going to find when you connect it all together? It's not so much fraud as it is amount of waste. Um, if fruit mm-hmm. or vegetables, for example, go bad sitting at a port, because the port is not digitized and, um, you know, the port operator has to fill out paperwork. Okay, can you quantify how much crop you lost sitting two days in port versus if you could have just floated by, checked in the port and moved forward using some type of blockchain-based identification, verification for your ship, your contents, and your crew? That's a legitimate question that could be addressed right now with this technology that could have real impact on the bottom line for farmers, suppliers, distributors, producers, and ultimately provide better and more secure uh, food supply. Uh, one company, uh, real quick, uh, Biteable Foods is somebody that we're hoping to work with. Um, they're good friends of mine out of Colorado. We're um, um, hoping to bring that conversation to the forefront and grants that we're working on together um, in the organic food space. Hmm. Health outcomes is completely tied to healthy food, so it's, it's kind of a match made in heaven. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And you know, I'm just thinking about your website, uh, blockchainhealthcarereview.com and you don't only specifically focus on healthcare although that was your that's your major focus but you also have artificial intelligence like you said cannabis uh, it sounds like you're going into the food industry a little bit what other industries or uh, verticals do you operate in well legal is, is a big one um, meaning uh, I'm very fortunate to have a network 
of legal professionals who also have healthcare backgrounds, which is phenomenally <laughs> phenomenally beneficial for getting legal advice and healthcare strategy expertise in one conversation. So, um, you know, we all of that. I, I would consider blockchain healthcare review focused on health informatics okay. as much uh, more so than healthcare. Healthcare is a broader term, but health informatics can be applied to any term in the healthcare spectrum. Um, especially when it just depends upon how specific you want to get it, you know, admin versus biomedical. So um, legal is a big part of that because of the contractual agreements between uh, vendors, for example, or um, civil or, you know, suits that are uh, for, you know, poor product delivery. You know, legal is a huge part of it, regardless of how you look at it. Um, But it's also important in terms of policy, which is our next big focus. We do have a few contents up there from a piece of content from, um, uh, contributors that have worked on political campaigns and actually have had helping hands in drafting policy. Um, but right now that conversation is, is more about the token space than it is about technology space. So we'll come back to that when it's more relevant. Um, AI though, I think is our biggest focus simply because it's what's going to give this technology legs. Um, but I would uh, uh, definitely... <laughs> Definitely, I, I left health informatics as an open-ended but somewhat specific at the same time kind of template for how to take the firm and what direction it wants to go in because that's ultimately where it's going to be applied to, right? It's going to be applied to across the spectrum of, of informatics rather than just one discipline or specialty. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. On March 4th, 2019, the ride-sharing hailing company Lyft announced a partnership with a blockchain healthcare company called Softcare. Softcare is a global healthcare IT company that's developed a blockchain platform for coordination, administration, and real-time payments. Softcare wallet holders will be able to schedule their own Lyft rides to doctors' offices hospitals, and pharmacies with the ability to schedule for a desired arrival time. The Softcare app is available already, but the actual deployment of this specific integration with Lyft is still in progress. In my next episode, number 28, I will be speaking with Pradeep Goel. He's the CEO of Softcare, and we'll be talking about this project, among other things. I think this is a great use case because lack of transportation to sites of care is such a problem for many patients. Lyft has already showed much interest in getting into the healthcare space, evidenced by its existing collaboration with Blue Cross Blue Shield and Humana. This self-care partnership is definitely one to follow in the coming months and years ahead. Thank you, everybody. And now let's get back to the show with Brendan Bennett from Blockchain Healthcare Review. Who are your company partners and major customers right now? Well, we'll go. So there's a page called our partner network. Um, it's a uh, right now we we partnered with several major enterprise uh, blockchain platforms. Block apps in particular have been very very um, wonderful people <laughs> to work with because uh, they themselves, like most enterprise blockchain applications, are working to get in the healthcare space. Um, so they in particular uh, have, have, uh, basically they have come in as a technology partner on some of our contracts that we're bidding on. They're also, a, you know, a huge resource for us and vice versa to, uh, go after bigger and better use cases together. Right. So yes, 
blockchain healthcare interview, Kim, we do have an engineering team, we do have development teams, but we need partners like Block Apps uh, to actually bring what they've already built to the table so we don't have to spend the time that they spend building what they already have. Um, R3 is another partner of ours. Uh, we're working with them more in the research side of things right now since they are in the finance space, but their platform is phenomenally well positioned for healthcare, the way that they are going to evolve um, and then the way the technology is coming to market um, in other sectors. Um, we do have a, actually we do have a couple of cannabis partners, uh, Cureall app out of uh, New Jersey. Uh, these are pharmacists that Shout have- Shout out to New Jersey. The, <laughs> yeah, they, they've been on the front lines of the opioid crisis, uh, specifically Camden and Newark and all that. So these are guys that um, they believe in the power of, of fixing this problem, um, cutting its legs off and building a better society. So we're working with organizations like them. Uh, we're also working with, um, you know, I, I mentioned before, FundRx. Um, they, that's personally, I'm involved with them um, as, a, as a venture fellow uh, to basically, you know, look at, give a perspective on what comes through their pipeline. Um, as far as clients, we are... We have, we are working uh, to uh, basically solidify. We haven't, I wouldn't say sign agreements. I won't go on record on saying that, but we are working towards uh, deals with, uh, for example, the Veterans Administration is a very high target of, of ours to collaborate with. Um, we do have a channel partner in the federal space, um, SAS Global Solutions out of uh, DC, that provides us a lot of the federal. Uh, clearances. Uh, it's a great channel partner to have because they're a technology firm um, that did not have the blockchain background. We had the blockchain and healthcare. So we, we look at um, we look at attacking the needs of the Veterans Administration, Army, Navy, in that regard, in their quest to kind of serve uh, service members with better healthcare. And so that's something that we've taken a huge pride in pursuing because it's a uh, very near and dear to all of the families that are involved in those in, endeavor, endeavors uh, on those projects. Commercially, uh, there's a few I can't talk about because we're still kind of um, kind of working through the contract nuts and bolts. Um, but we're attacking it from multiple um, approaches. One, uh, media play. Like I mentioned before, working with firms to uh, advocate, advertise, and educate um, internally and externally. They're um, investments or their staff in terms of how they're going to integrate blockchain into the business plan or market opportunity. Uh, the other is engineering. So, you know, engineering solutions, engineering product development. Um, by this time next year, we will have, we do have a product suite planned. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much hmm. the details at this That's point, really but, hmm. um, but based on the demand of what we're seeing um, and based on certain uh, market indicators of uh, of growth as well as capital injections. We definitely see a lot of opportunities in the analytics space um, in various capacities, not not necessarily um, always geared towards uh, the enterprise as well. So, you know, that that's something that we can't, I can't do you know, on, on a bootstrap budget. Right. Um, even though we do have capital, we, we are uh, moving along as a company, um, but that, that's a how, substantial how are you guys commitment. funded? Is it through just through uh, your customers, or do you have uh, like oh, some yeah, sort we, of seed yeah, fund? Have, Can you talk about that? A little bit, yeah. We do um, we do have we do have seed capital, and we do have uh, you know top line revenue. I guess well, we do have we have funding coming through the door through profit margins. We I'm very lucky to work with a team that's been very flexible. 
uh, with not demanding max pay right out of the gate. Um, you know, these guys are startup. These guys are pros um, that, I, that I brought in. I'm very, very fortunate to work with them. Um, and they've, they've opened up our access to multiple different lines of revenue that otherwise I personally would not individually have. So working with our chief digital officer, uh, Jeffrey Friedman, uh, Andrew Bart, uh, our chief growth officer um, out of uh, Carefree, Arizona, uh, those, these guys have been in the startup world for quite some time and have a substantial reputation behind them. And we, I brought them in on our executive leadership simply to open up more revenue opportunities uh, other than just you know the engineering deal flows and the education deal flows. I will say we are also... Uh, just because I can't resist, we're also going after marketing. For example, community management of uh, blockchain-based yeah, I saw that. companies. Um, so being on the procurement side of enterprise health, blockchain healthcare at Humana, being on the innovation side and the previous startup, I have, I have a really, you know, we, we can help uh, a lot of these companies attack their target market in ways uh, that have pretty much zero learning curve. And that's that's pretty good value prop for for some firms that have been burned on marketing, which we hear stories of all the time in the blockchain space, simply because it's hard to understand their products. Yeah, one of the things in the community management offerings that you have, you say that you can help companies determine their ROIs for adopting mm-hmm. blockchain or you know using a certain strategy. How do you go about doing ROIs in this space right now? There, so that, that kind of circles back to our product development <laughs> strategy, yeah, but sure. right, right now that... Um, right now, that's a lot. A lot has to do with, um, well, put it this way: there's a lot of data available in the market, right? There's a lot of data about who's spending what, who spent what on what type of projects, um, and who's talking about what. So, in the community management standpoint, um, ROI in that particular pay landing page is referring to actual driving business from digital marketing, which, from a social media perspective, flat out is really kind of a um, a dull conversation in the traditional digital marketing space. Like it's a necessary evil that most companies always right. see. I don't believe that. I don't believe the heavy managed three, five, five, fortune 100 brands at this point. I, I don't see social media as a necessary evil, but as a quantitative resource to drive tangible metrics. And when we go about every single method of uh, marketing in that mindset, will there's a will, there's a way you can pull the data out and you can pull that into behavioral economics, you can pull that into lead gen, you can pull that into actual growth hacking and marketing, which is a part of uh, not that direct um, se- uh, product or that direct service, but that's also a service that we offer that more often than not goes very well together because growth hacking is about how do you get the right, how do you get to the right key decision maker? Um, but that goes back to the business model, right? And decision maker doesn't necessarily have to be a stakeholder. It could also be a consumer. If these right. guys need consumer growth, Okay, great. Now, now we're talking about a digital acquisition CPA campaign. If we're talking about getting in front of a stakeholder or an investor, for that matter, which we do are now entertaining uh, um, basically camp- investor outreach campaigns because our network has grown so much, that's a whole different conversation because it's a whole different line of accountability. You want to make that's, you know, you're putting your reputation on the line every single conversation. Um, but driving ROI for us is about building advocacy for the brand, for one. Um, in your target market, because we see a lot of overlap between professionals and digital health adopters, um, and then actual sales conversions, what that looks like, where you're trying to get to, um, and all that kind of stuff. So it's different for every client as of now. Um, The data that we're looking at correlating and 
building a product suite out of, out of that will be a much more streamlined process in the future. Much more and much more intelligent, put that way, predictive. Yeah, you talked a little bit about your product suite. Is it more, you said analytics. Does that mean like industry analytics or company analytics or you're not talking about health data analytics, are you? No, uh, that, that crust, we, we entertain that to an idea, but we don't, as a, if we had, if we had the right partnership, um, with the right firm, sure. Yeah, we could do that, but we're not a healthcare firm. Mm -hmm. We're healthcare consultancy. Um, and I I would love, personally, I would, I would love nothing more to build a clinical data tool set, but you mentioned pocket doc earlier. Why, why, why do we need that right now when we have all these other companies that are building healthcare APIs to move clinical data bigger, uh, more faster. So, our our product suite is going to be more um, more so, I guess, in the intent space. How do you understand and target the right audience, the right crowd, and build the right advocacy to uh, to build the right business ecosystem for your brand? And I'll give you an example. The way that we break down audiences in blockchain healthcare review, I still consider blockchain healthcare review a business ecosystem. But if you go on our website in the top navigation, you'll see innovator. Uh, you'll see. <laughs> Um, innovators, consumers, investors, enterprise, what I don't have on there is government, all because those comprise the business ecosystem of blockchain healthcare review. You take one particular client that's different, especially if they have a B2C, B2B, or B2C2B model. So building that advocacy has to be cross-functional between those that are in the industry, those who are willing to adopt, and those who are willing to buy. And all of that has to work together to drive the bottom line um, otherwise, there's no point in paying for our services, much less investing in the company in the first place. It has to be more than an idea, basically, is what I'm trying to get at. Um, and that's where we try to take that idea stage and formulate that community, formulate that growth hacking plan. Um, so that uh, we actually just partnered with Metcalf, too, as well, while I'm on the topic. And Metcalf actually is a fund that funds startups' marketing budgets, <laughs> which is a really a cool way to go about it. Um, but now we actually have a funding mechanism to go back to our startups and say, look, you don't have to necessarily go to venture capitalists, accelerators, angels, whoever. There are more creative funding mechanisms that are now within our partner network that we can bring to you. So you can do business with us and we can do business with you, but you can also grow as a business as a whole. That's interesting. Are they operating under the any cryptocurrencies or is this like fiat money being transferred? I'm just wondering. It's, just, it's, it's a type of investing where <clears throat> it's fiat investing um that you know there's no crypto involved it's more or less uh you know investing based on past performance um, based on if you have a little bit of revenue um you know it's not taking the entire credit history to jury and trial nor is it taking uh you know a huge nor is it taking really any of your cap table um which is what angels and venture capitalists will bite into as much as they can it's their job so um you know we um we're looking at it from multiple perspectives. One, Metcalf, um, as, a, as innovative funding for startups in our space are having trouble getting that initial traction and they need funding for marketing and growth. Two, we're also looking at partnering with exchanges on the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay, you got funding, you got growth, you did your ICO, STO, whatever you're going to call it. We're in talks right now with a couple of, of exchanges where we can streamline the due diligence for healthcare tokens to get on exchanges if that's part of their business plan. Hmm. Some of them are not, which is totally cool. Um, other ones that are, we can help you get there too. So it's it's a wide conversation that we attack based on opportunity and not all at once, uh, but we can fit in at any given stage of growth, which is quite fun to be a part of. 
It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool, Brennan. I'm actually looking here at your consumer section on your website, and if you click on tokens, you can see a list of all the cryptocurrency tokens, and some of them, you know, dozens of them, your website you've reviewed, uh, you took a look at, and you know, had yep. some comments about them. Um, so, you know, based on all this research, was this was this you or was it your team? How did you go about like starting this? Um, this analysis? Starts, uh, that's actually. It made the short answer is me. Uh, the uh, my team right now is is on the operational side, but this, this the content side of blockchain healthcare review actually started way back um, in the smack in the middle of my master's thesis. Uh, when me having a content background, um, an English degree with an e-commerce and digital strategy background before I even got into blockchain, um, I basically just wanted to put up a flag, right, and see what it had. Digital flag um, and blockchain healthcare review up until last year um was my professional growth tool really that i just used it to grow my personal career by um using what i know of digital marketing content and writing out what i was researching i literally started the very first couple of reviews as an overflow because i had to cut my dissertation by 20 pages (laughs) (laughs) um wasn't writing a phd thesis i I was gonna (laughs) the, the initial plan was to roll it into a phd thesis so i was like okay screw it i'll go for 50 to 70 pages not a big deal Turns out I had other plans, and uh, I didn't go to the PhD program um, here at the U. And um, you know, because of that, I had to cut it out. But I didn't want it to go to waste, right? Because I know, sure, I, I know it could be done on that space. And you know, just putting up that small little flag back two two and a half years ago, um, I got speaking engagements in in DC. Uh, you know, forged a relationship with people that I never ever would have met otherwise. And now, you know, conversations like this coming out of the woodwork based on content, um, now podcasts, I believe we met, you know, from, from Taste Chronicles. So now, now I'm kind of seeing the evolution of my original idea, which is great. Um, but the whole idea is to provide that resource for that market segment. Consumers, as I said before, are a strong, I strongly believe they are going to be the primary driving force of adoption, not enterprise. Uh, government's a different, different, whole different beast, but Consumers, just like web, just like e-commerce, just like uh, Amazon. Right. So, I've heard a lot of people say, speak negatively about, um, you know, using or going towards the consumer space first or, you know, as a... It depends. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, well, it is. So it has to be part of your business model, right? So the the only negative aspect about going to the consumer side first is if you, in my opinion, if you rush it or you don't necessarily have... Um, you know, fully baked out plan. I've seen a lot of the consumer side of business evolve into enterprise licensing, (laughs) very, very lucrative parts of consumer centric blockchain businesses. Uh, And that's just part of the deal, right? You sign up, you get crypto for your data and you can choose whether or not to share your data. But if you choose to share your data, the company is going to license it. So, um, you know, from a, a consumer uh, consumerism also you got to take with a grain of salt, right? Because blockchain-based Samsung just came out with a blockchain phone that has nothing to do with healthcare, but it's blockchain. So it's uh, um, well, one it way could, or another. It? Like if it's a wallet and it can store different types of tokens, you can technically see it storing a healthcare-based token. No. Oh, this is no doubt in my mind. Yeah, you'll have yeah. your own PHI file right, right then and there right. if you want it. Yeah, that that's absolutely where I see that going. Um, and to be honest with you, it's it's not just about consumer. You also got to consider our little market. So I grew up in in the veterinary space. I grew up in Kentucky in a vet hospital. Uh, my dad is a vet. 
Um, and I'm seeing the blockchain space emerge into the veterinary space completely under the radar, completely under the radar. And that's still what I would consider consumers, right? Mm, Even though your dog's true. not paying for your bill, you're still going after the consumer that pays the bill for the dog. Um, and in the horse business, when the average horse costs as much as the average house, it's pretty important that, that you know, healthcare is taken care of. So you, there's consumer, I think, is relative at this point. It's not necessarily about um, targeting. Uh, I mean, I started out with um, managing retail e-commerce. Uh, so it, it's, you know, targeting a colored shirt is a lot different than a healthcare tool. But like I said before about the woman who asked about the dermatology exam, it can save lives. It can really save lives if you get the right information to the right people. So right now we sit right in the middle simply because you're, you're right to a degree about targeting consumers, but you're also wrong to a degree. Um, and until that line gets flattened out, you know, we're going to sit right in the middle and point people in the right direction regardless. Absolutely. And I think a lot of our audience here listening, you know, the end goal is to help save more lives, to help treat people more effectively uh, and to make them feel better overall. And I think that um, by giving them access to their own data and by letting researchers have more data anonymously and shared in a distributed way, I think it'll provide that ecosystem that we're talking about here. Um, but I'm actually really interested in the veterinary space. I don't know too much about yeah. it, you know, using blockchain. So if you know someone that would be interested in having a conversation with me in that space, you know, make sure you reach out to them and let me know. I'd love to chat with them. I will. There's several, uh, mostly in Europe right now, um, but okay. they're they're actively trying to make it over here to the states. Um, it, it's it's the same business model, same exact business model, um, and. and um, but it's, you know, it's a little less unregulated, which makes it grow a lot faster. That's what I was going to, I was thinking about the, yeah. and, I mean, in the United States, there is still a lot of regulation around animal care, but, um, not as, you know, not as much as human care. I would actually, not, you know, that can be also argued. Data. What's that? Yeah. Not when it comes to the clinical data of animals either, yeah. which when you, when you, that, that's going to be a market to really watch because you're going to see that explode on the healthcare in the next two, probably two years. And right. what can be done in animal science, which is already, yeah, that's I go back one. home to my, you know, back home to Kentucky and see better tools in, in, health, in animal clinics than I do in hospitals. I used to work at a lab and we had mouse models and I was actually the person uh, who would bre be breeding mice with different genetics and crossbreeding them. So, you know, I totally understand how you can have 500 cages of mice in a, lab setting and if i if you know blockchain was part of that maybe it would be easier to track who was breeding with who and whatnot and potentially the reason why that's important is you can have uh, other researchers also become part of that ecosystem because every lab had their own set of mice but if you wanted to potentially share uh you can do that there as well uh, so that, I mean, that, yeah that brings up the you know the other point is is, is fraud too uh, especially right, you, right. when you get um I don't like to use dogs as an example, but uh, horses with bloodlines could be worth millions. But let me ask you a question. How do you prove it? Like, are you going to have to videotape the two mice procreating? Like, how nope. are you going to prove it on the blockchain? Because at the end of the day, it sounds like we're still going to need that human to verify this pup, this like baby mouse yeah, came well, from these two mother and father. Yeah, to say that uh, an AI blockchain tool actually bursts a uh, a horse is probably the day I'm out of a job, but the, the, <laughs> the, idea, um, the idea is the same thing as passport or college verification, right? So you see 
Dubai, for example, uh, creating a passport. This actually is relevant to Dubai. You see these these huge operations that are trying to validate IDs by hashing an image or verification of that ID to a blockchain protocol or a network or validate whatever. Same thing with a horse. When a horse is born, you uh, know, um, or let's put it this way, and a horse is born in a lineage, um, and you're trying to either maintain a bloodline, you're in a competitive sphere, whether that be thoroughbreds, saddlebreds, quarter horses, whatever. Uh, yeah, you can. There is. It's very. It would be very easy to hash a certificate of authenticity to that horse. Now, tagging it to that specific horse. Yeah. Okay. There's. Uh, I mean you can get pretty creative on how to do that or if it really needs to be done. Um, but the idea is the authenticity um, of the, the offspring, of the yeah. origin, just like our passport yeah. or our birth certificate or college degree could be authenticated. And when you, when you look about the redundancies in finance, for example, um, one of the reasons finance blockchain took off in finance is because it cut down the redundancies on ID verification mm-hmm. that saved a lot of money. And that, you know, can prevent a lot of fraud. Fraud is relative in a lot of different ways in every single industry. So it, it, it's going to be about uh, documentation. Um, and if that has to do with um, with horses, I can see that being done with photographs, taking a photograph of that the horse from multiple different angles, and then leveraging you know computer vision and AI to verify that identity uh, right. to that horse to that contract. So if anybody tries to sell another horse under that assumed name. Now you have a verified ID verification, written verification, and doctor sign-off or veterinary sign-off um, validated by an actual third party, which is the AI. Um, so it can right. be done. That can be easy, um, but it will be done, which is what I'm excited about. Yeah, I mean, people are going to start getting pretty creative, and I'm sure new business models are going to come out of this that we haven't thought of yet. Um, I mean, you can even put the the horse's DNA on the blockchain in a way, so that's oh, like verifiable. Like this is a unique animal. And uh, it came from, you know, this farm or, or whatever. Um, I have a few more questions for you. So, you know, you're in this space, always reading the news. Were there any events or announcements in the healthcare blockchain space that was very unexpected or just really surprising to you? And why? I was not, ex- well, in medical breakthroughs, no. I, at this point, not I spent, me- no, at this point, it, it's, so. it's hard to really come up with something that is just, well, actually I take that back. Uh, I take that back. Uh, last week, um, Tanzania recorded a uh, first blockchain. I think it was a birth certificate. We call it a blockchain baby. Um, I was like, okay, that's, that's a new one, but that's good. Um, but um, personally, the acquisitions, the, the strength of the acquisitions and the actual like monetary sensibility out of some of like the analog, like Pocketdoc. Pocketdoc was a great, example of how you come up with an idea, use an use a emerging technology to leverage a market opportunity, do it right, and exit, period. And that, to me, um, aside from the stellar uh, opportunity that I had uh, when they acquired a financial ledger for $500 million in Stellar Lumens, um, those two just stuck out to me like, okay, this is, it's not about tokens. It's not about um Bitcoin. It's about what Bitcoin runs on. It's about what can be done when you have AI-driven protocol consensus mechanisms that can do a phenomenal amount of um, computational, I guess, due diligence in, in deals that are being done at phenomenal speeds. So, you know, yeah, you said it right. I think we're going to start seeing some pretty cr- creative concepts, especially now that computer vision is coming online as the main part 
of, of AI and how AI is interacting in the medical field. Um, I haven't seen any emerging startups but, uh, that have blown my mind, except for maybe in the cannabis space, uh, where I've seen some uh, molecular tracking of plants where you can actually spray stuff on a plant and track it through uh, the supply chain. How does that Other work? Than- so it binds to the the cellulose or, or it binds to this yeah. the plant? So yeah, you basically spray it on you spray it on your crop, um, and uh, it you know it, the way I'm not, I can't describe it perfectly because I only briefly read over the white paper, but it was right. uh, they can actually track it on a molecular level, um, and that kind of you can track it from uh, like is it radioactive material? Because I know well, radioactive it would act, material it would you act can track it. it. Yeah, it would act in the same way as a radioactive isotope when you're doing a car, when you're doing a radiology exam, right? Yeah. It would act in the same way that you in that, and that can only be seen with certain machinery, but ultimately isn't going to kill you um, or hurt you long term. So um, that and what I would, you know, the other ones that have really surprised me is um, imaging analysis, radiological imaging analysis. So back home in Kentucky, I've seen X-ray machines in veterinary hospitals that have 3D imaging, very very advanced stuff, but you're starting to see that now in advanced clinical applications where AI is being uh, trained through unlimited use, unlimited data sets that seem to be available to understand and diagnose oncology. Um, where I'm, where I'm interested in is, is where it's going to be applied in, in mental health. Um, that's where I'm waiting to see the big breakthrough come, uh, especially in uh, access to mood disorders like bipolar, like I mentioned before, that is not a blood test. It, it there's nothing you can do it's except behavioral. Maybe it's, yeah, it's, it's behavioral, social. but you, you can you can maybe identify it through you know spending patterns or whatever. Yeah. But actual behaviors, like, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I but, think but, that's yeah. so that that's that's what I'm holding my breath for because um, although drug treatment has gotten better for mood disorders, um, especially specifically bipolar, they they still it still causes, in my opinion, as much, if not more damage than most other diseases that are designated specialty diseases like cancer and, and, and AIDS. I mean, it's, it's a massively destructive mental issue. I do uh, think in, in like 15, 20 years, a lot of the way we treat humans today is going to be looked at as barbaric, to be honest, um, you know, including uh, some of the things that you're talking about now. Um well, you mean you mean uh, uh, frontal lobotomies aren't barbaric? Yeah, I mean that's that's just kind of the way that, that, that things have evolved in the medical systems. Uh, my God, a hundred years ago, they were shoving ice picks up people's noses and lobotomies and calling it humane. I mean, right. it's, it's treatment. I, I can't imagine what we're going to be like in twenty years. It's going to be it's going to be hopefully history it'll be repeats great. itself in that same way. I mean, it's not like ethically speaking. I think there's the things that people are doing now. It's it's within their system, and there's boards that agree upon what should be done. Um, but again, that always changes. Uh, over time, people learn new things, and we adapt, and we adapt our systems and processes. Hopefully, hopefully, we learn from our, our um, past. That's the the point of all this. We try. We, we as a species, we try. We try. Yeah. <laughs> I have a few more questions. We're kind of running out of time. Um, do you have any favorite blockchain crypto projects that are going on right now that you want to share? I know we talked about a few already, but anything else? Yeah, I would definitely highly suggest looking at Opu Labs, um, opu.ai um, out of Tokyo. Uh, that's a dermatology app I recommend it. Checking out um, Simply Vita Health, we work with, or mm. trying to work with them. We're actually uh, uh, 
we are part of their Health Nexus Consortium, one of the founding members. So we are actually going to be hosting a node for Simply Vital Health. We're actually going to be very intricately involved in their growth. I'm very, very excited to be working closely with them. Uh, I've known them for probably the longest in this industry. Um, I'm very happy. Uh, I feel like that's one of the better projects that I've seen from a growth perspective, a capital perspective, product perspective, management perspective, and a leadership perspective. Um, other that's than that, um, that's really great, actually. So I interviewed Kat Kuzmeska. She's uh, the CEO of Simply Vital Health, episode yep, seven yep. for all the listeners out there. So, you know, make sure yeah. you check that out. It was, it was a fun conversation. And I actually talked to uh, Jake Dreyer there, um, yep. you know, one of their executive team members today. So I'm cool. pretty close with them as well. They're here in Watertown, yeah. Massachusetts. So they're quite local. Cat's uh, a phenomenal business leader. Um, uh, actually, I think I think it was the very first person I ever interviewed with, with Blockchain Healthcare Review. Um, just happened nice. to randomly uh, at, at a conference. So um, that's a company that I would definitely put on the radar to gauge the growth of healthcare because they are a business solution. Mm. They deal with clinical health outcomes of patients. They're not just about business APIs. They're about actual health outcomes. So it's not a B2C model like encryption or um, any of the others, but it is definitely applicable to the health and well-being of individuals. Brennan, who's your favorite business person, researcher, or scientist in history or now? Oh, man. Um, could not tell you. There's a quite a bit. Uh, I, overall, I'm, I'm actually kind of biased towards astrophysics, to be honest with you. So Stephen That's Hawking's um, is somebody who I always looked up to as somebody who um, didn't take crap from anybody and just did, he worked his brilliance in, a, in any way that he could. Um, in, a, in a different life, I would have been in the, uh, uh, in the aerospace field. That's uh, where I actually kind of started out uh, before going into healthcare. So I, I would say Somebody like him who questioned, literally wrote a book about the history of the universe, yeah, <laughs> the history, brief history of time, brief history, something like that. Yeah. So somebody that can take on that kind of challenge and actually argue it intelligently. Um, um, but I think regardless, um, you know, anything that uh, I, I would favor, healthcare is intrinsically, uh, uh, I guess, spiritual as well as it is physical. Um, so you have to, at some point, ask, bigger questions about what's around you, what's affecting you, and how you can help other people, much less how they can help you. I love that answer. Thank you for that one. Final question. What are your thoughts about the singularity? You know, that's supposed to actually happen in 2045 based on Ray Kurzweil's estimates. Can you describe it a little bit more? Uh, you mean like the, the melding? Yeah, like the melding uh, of, you know, consciousness with AI and there's a singularity university where people... Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm surprised it hasn't happened <laughs> already. already. Um, okay. it's, uh, so you, people, one thing I would definitely, uh, I guess one thing that trips me up, or it did trip me up and trip probably a lot of people up is the difference between singularity and, for example, cybernetics. Um, one of the, uh, cybernetics, um, having actual machines help humans do more stuff is oh, totally different than right? of consciousness. So think, a lot of people think, a lot of people don't, see that difference um i think honestly i don't know i don't know what to think my my okay. background the last couple the last two years in particular i've been i've dealt heavy into the quantum space and quantum mechanics and quantum encryption and quantum engineering um so if it's going to happen it's going to happen soon because once quantum hits commercial market or even 
the back channel uh, markets of communications and data, um, the absolute volume of data that can be processed and is, I, there's not even a word to describe it, how big yeah. it can be. And Infinity because of maybe that, is a good word. <laughs> it, it not, but because of that strength and speed, AI, you, are, you already have AI that can train other AI. That's creepy enough as it is. And uh, when, when, you, when you involve these emerging technologies that are legitimately on the cusp of, of touched for human species like quantum tech and blockchain and AI, you put those together, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. I, I really, I all I, I, it'll be able to make, I think healthcare will benefit the most because it will take, uh, it'll be able to uh, do a lot of things we talked about, especially in mental health, um, but also be able to create and design um, better uh, outcomes. Um, mm -hmm. Personalized medicine is basically what I'm getting at. I think personalized medicine will benefit the most, but singularity itself, um, I don't know, I might leave that up to my grandkids at some point because they're the ones going to have to sure. deal with that. Uh, but it, it's it, it's it's a scary thought. Uh, it really is because it's uh, uh, we don't like to not control things. Otherwise, we wouldn't be where we are um, as a species. So once we lose that to something that can move faster than us, think faster than us, and do more stuff, um, I don't know how we're going to react. Um, It'll be an interesting I, world, I'm sure. Regardless, so it, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And to all my listeners in 2045, I'll still be doing this podcast for sure. <laughs> we'll see. Um, well, Brendan, thank you so much for joining yeah. the show. This was a really fun conversation. Is there anything else you want to talk about that I missed or didn't ask? No, no, not at the moment, but um, I'd love to come back on at some point as your listeners get feedback or want to dive into something that's very specific mm -hmm. and a very uh, like segmented part of healthcare. Um, there's hours to be spent in, either, in any direction you pick. So I'd love to be a part of that ongoing. I love it. Absolutely. I will definitely um, be reaching out back to you and um, looking forward to having a future conversation. So have a great uh, night and thank you again. Absolutely. You as well. Talk to you later. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.